It's certainly good for my family and myself to be back with you today. Last Lord's Day, we enjoyed a service in East Tennessee with Christy. And last two Sundays ago, of course, our gospel meeting with Brother Stan Stevenson. Very appreciative of Trail and the message brought last Lord's Day morning. No doubt, a very uplifting, encouraging message. And yet today, as we're able to be back with you, we're thankful for this congregation, the encouragement and the support and all the prayers that you utter upon our behalf. Today, as you might well have noticed, as you came in, and something I failed to ask or bring to the, the attention of Brother Lester as he made the announcements, some new tracks are available there in the rack as you perhaps exit the auditorium. If you have a desire to avail yourself of them, feel free to do that. Our eldership has approved the purchase of these nice, colorful, well-illustrated tracks, and if, if you have a particular title is of interest to you, please help yourself. I think you'll find some of the topics to be present in that rack to be those that are very much addressing matters that you and I deal with on a daily basis, very practical matters. So please, if you have opportunity, stop and take a look and see if you'd like to enjoy some of those tracks that are available. Well spent or poorly spent. As you can see, that's the title of the lesson that we shall consider this morning. And the text that was just read in our hearing a moment ago from Ephesians, the fifth chapter, encourages and reminds us about that interesting set of questions. Well spent or poorly spent. As we begin to introduce or at least broach that subject, might I invite you to consider just a few introductory matters and a few introductory thoughts. It is certainly the case that time is an intriguing entity. No doubt it's hard to define it. Even scientists have a bit of an issue attempting to clearly and explicitly define what time is, but yet we are all aware of it. We know about its passing, we are aware of its consequences, and we are even concerned about its importance. All of that being said, you'll also notice that the preciousness of time is perhaps another matter that's a puzzle. By and large, those matters that are so precious to us, we are able to hold them dear perhaps even store them up for later use. But it cannot be so with time. It's not possible to store it up and use it later. We only have what is the present of the moment, and as it passes by and becomes that which is now history, we no longer have access to that time any longer. It is to be noted in light of those matters that mankind has learned to divide time into a number of divisions. Even the Bible makes mention of years and days, but you and I have learned by virtue of our education to consider minutes and seconds and decades and centuries and even beyond. Might I ask us, though, in light of all of that, to never forget that Psalm 118 verse 24 still declares, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Might we notice as that verse begins, it says, This is the day that the Lord hath made. He makes it. You and I are blessed today to enjoy it because He has fashioned it, set it forth and made it, and allowed us to, in fact, enjoy what it is that is set forth in it. This is the day He has made. With that question before us, what then should we say about the potential, the possibility, and all the capability that might well be given in accord to a certain day? That will primarily be the thrust of our lesson this morning based on that text in Ephesians 5. What might we say then about the challenge of using our time wisely, well spent or poorly spent? 
Let's reread the text. And I have written it for you here so that you can read it along with me as we give consideration yet again to it. I have used three different translations so that we will gain the essential meaning in all of its, in all of its wonder. You'll appreciate that not only the ASV and the ESV, but also our familiar King James translation is given. The King James is the one that was read a moment ago, and again it reads as follows. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. That's reading the first two verses, but notice, let's not forget the last one. The latter one goes on to say, Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. That's a totality of three verses. Now for the other two. Look therefore carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's the American Standard rendering of 1901. Finally, the ESV of 2001 reads, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be fools, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Each of those, of course, sounds somewhat similar, but nonetheless, a few of the renderings and wordings are ever so pertinent. And as we give attention to them in the lesson this morning, let's seek to apply them to ourselves as we examine ourselves indeed whether you and I are in the faith. To go to the next slide and thus draw some comments from them, might we begin in this way. We can immediately conclude the high premium found here in the Word of God with respect to the usage of time. Not only here, but in fact otherwise and in other places, we also find God's wording with respect to us being careful users of what time we are given. That certainly suggests and implies and even demands that we not be wasteful or usage of it in a foolish way. Did you notice in two of those renderings the word foolish was employed as a possible way that one could use his or her time? Thus, Randy Bybee needs to ask the question, am I employing my time foolishly? Am I using it in a way that in God's eyes is foolish? Meaning that it is not directed to the direction and to the end that he would desire it to be, and that it could bring about the good that he would desire and wish for it to bring about. And you could, of course, submit your name also on that same question. Two of those translations, again, use the phrase, look carefully. You and I all each understand that to look at something carefully means to scrutinize it, to in fact analyze it, to break it apart and ask very critically the questions related to how it's being used. That means that I should do the same with respect to my time. Rather than, for instance, allowing the day to flit its way past, I should indeed ask, am I looking at it carefully so that I am able to employ it and use it in the way that would be right and that would be best in the eyes of God? Just as surely as that day that we mentioned earlier can be subdivided into hours and minutes and seconds, might we ask, what about those minutes of last Thursday? Did I use them well? What about the minutes that you had last Tuesday? Did you use them well? 
Did you look carefully at them and employ them in a way to bring about God's will in your life to benefit yourself and others? We each need to be asking ourselves these questions. Look carefully. God will not accept haphazard usage of our time. It needs to be dedicated and spent in a way that would glorify and bring honor to Him in the way that He has revealed in His Scriptures. Look carefully. You might notice the King James put it in language like this. See then that you walk circumspectly. That's one of those words that we don't use much in our daily walk of life. Circumspectly? But now we understand what that means. It means to look carefully so that the time can be employed wisely, not foolishly. Might we also appreciate the interesting fact that the King James uses that word redeem. Did you notice he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. I wonder what that word means in that context. Redeeming the time? You and I know about redeeming a coupon. We go to a department store or a drug store and present a coupon in exchange for reduction in the price. How can one redeem time? The ESV made the translation abundantly plain. That word in Greek literally means to make the best use of. That's how you and I redeem it. We make the best use of that time that you and I are allotted, that time that you and I are given. As one makes usage and note of the latter way that that verse closes, he says, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. The world is always in pursuit of evil, isn't it? The world is always following that which is opposed to the divine will of God because the world is beneath the control of the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3, the days indeed are evil. Jesus affirmed the same in Matthew 6 34 when he said, Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Might we thus appreciate that if we allow our time to be employed foolishly, it will be employed in a way that's in pursuit of basically what is evil, that which is not usage in bringing about God's will. These matters challenge us with one last thing on that slide. It is the realization that you and I should thus conduct ourselves. Remember it said to look carefully and conduct yourself. We each are using this Sunday morning wisely. We're here in the service worshiping God, that which He finds pleasing and that which He has commanded. But we each know there are seven days in a week. How will I use tomorrow? How will you use Tuesday or Wednesday or Saturday? The Christian life is not that which you and I put on on Sunday and take off like a coat and don't dawn again until Wednesday night. It should be that which is descriptive of you and me every moment of every day and thus redeeming the time because the days are evil. Are we making the best use of all the moments of our days in such a way that in fact we're fulfilling the passage that we've just read today? The question near the bottom of that slide thus is this. Your time, based upon your life and mine, is it well spent or is it poorly spent? Each one of us will give an answer to that for ourselves on the day of judgment. No one else will answer for you nor will anyone else answer for me. Did I spend the time wisely or did I spend it foolishly? In what remains in the lesson today, let's be a bit more specific as we think about 
ways to help us answer that question. Wisely spent or poorly spent. There are many, many activities that are in your life and mine that consume our day. And as we begin to think about them and list them, it truly is an impressively reflective thing. Because after all, think about just in a typical day what you or I do that in itself is not at all wrong. There are the obligations and the love and the encouragement that we share and spend with our family, our spouse, our children, as we enjoy encouraging them and spending time with them. God nowhere, of course, condemns that. In fact, He encourages us as a family and as parents and children to love each other, encourage and support one another. However, that takes time out of every day. What about other activities? What about other things related to your career and mine? Where, in fact, we remember from 1 Timothy 5 8 that God expects us to provide for our own. Those who do not, He says, have denied the faith and are worse than an infidel. Hence, we appreciate work, and God endorses work to take care of oneself and one's family, to provide the necessary house and clothing for ourselves and our children, but that takes time. In fact, for many, it takes many, many hours out of every week. Out of the 168 hours in a week, well over 40 for most individuals are devoted to taking care of that aspect of life. However, that's not all. What about the other matters of upkeeping that house that has been blessed for you and me to have? That takes upkeep to the laundry and to the mowing of the yard and taking care of all that is both inside and out of that house. It all takes time, doesn't it? As you start adding it up, it's pretty easy to see how many, many hours a week can simply be done away with by thinking about these obligations and responsibilities. But there are others. There still are those regular activities of being a human being. Sleep and eating all need recreation or at least a bit of rest and relaxation every now and then. All of that too is an accompaniment and an accomplishment that fits into those hours that you and I appreciate that passage week. Of the things we've mentioned, there's not a thing in it that's evil or wrong by itself. There's not a thing in it that is condemned within the pages of the Word of God in and of itself. In fact, those are duties and obligations that are placed upon you and upon me as we tend to ourselves and also to our families. The question though still asks, that still leaves a number of hours in each one of our lives that we are able to choose, how we will use the other hours. Probably a good 20 or so hours at least, if not more. How do we use those other hours? Do we sit in front of a television for the vast majority of them? Do we just sit idly by and do nothing? Do we spend it on the telephone gossiping? Or perhaps whispering or backbiting against somebody else? Do we spend it sitting in front of a computer doing nothing but Facebook, or rather on a phone doing Facebook or texting all the time? Do we spend it in front of a computer emailing and doing nothing but surfing the internet? Now admittedly, many of those activities have their place as well. But still the question that comes to you and to me, well spent or poorly spent? How would you catalog it and how would you classify it? 
As you can see near the bottom of that slide, one more time, the question, how are we using that time? Let's use the Scriptures to at least give us some guidelines and to see what might be left for us to consider this morning. First of all, these things seem basic. As we appreciate this teaching of the Word of God, we have God in no uncertain terms reminding us that we must make some time for this book. We just must. Otherwise, we will spiritually die. He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In Matthew 6, verse 33, we find, in fact, in the Old Testament, even the psalmist appreciated well the following thoughts. In the 119th Psalm, verses 15 and 16, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself also in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. The psalmist made note of the fact of his interest in meditating upon the precepts of the word of God. Later in that same chapter, in Psalm 119, verse 140, we read, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. In verse 97 of the same chapter, O how love I thy law, it is my meditation all the day. And thus the question might be asked in light of Psalm 1 verse 2, Do you and I delight in the law of the Lord? And in that law do we find our meditation day and night? Do we carve out or set aside a bit of time every day to spend it in usage of the Word of God? To read a passage? To devote some reflective time to it? To accept to a time of self-examination to where we can ask, Am I applying that to my life? Do I need to make a change? Do I need to, in fact, do some things differently than what has been done in the past? It is the case, isn't it, in James 1.25, this is the perfect law of liberty, and it is that mirror that will tell us directly and identically what needs to be changed, what needs to be improved. And thus, without proper time spent with it, there will be no spiritual improvement. There will be no spiritual moving forward. And so the question, are we finding the time, are we using at least a portion of the time God has given us with the Word of God? As you can see also, we notice yet a second point. In addition to that time spent with the Word of God, that time invested in the reading of the Bible, what about some time devoted to meditation, prayer, and reflection? We hinted at this just a moment ago, but let's consider it somewhat more thoroughly. We are all well aware that if we aren't careful, all of life can pass by and we look back and think what I might could have changed or done differently. Do we reflect upon our life and ask, what can I change for the betterment? What does God's Word indicate that should be changed without any time devoted to that reflection? It will not take place. That reflection might well be set forth in language like this. Jesus himself, the Son of God, said that men ought always to pray and not to faint in Luke 18.1. As he spoke that at the outset of a parable, he impressed upon those who were his listeners the great need of devoting time not to fainting but to prayer. Because if we don't pray enough, we're likely to be weak spiritually. We're likely to be far less mature than what we would otherwise be. 
you'll notice in First Thessalonians 5.17, that short little verse, pray without ceasing, the impressive reminder of the need for us to ever have an attitude and a mindset of prayer. That self-reflection highlighted in 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. That is a direct commandment given to every one of us, to me and to you. That wasn't given to the elders for me. God didn't tell the elders, you examine every person whether they're in the faith. They can make judgments and they are in fact in a position to do that. If my life appears weak, if it appears as if I need spiritual encouragement, our elders in love would come to me and ask the problem. However, I also have obligation. Randy, examine yourself whether you're in the faith. Since faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17, the only way to do that is to measure my life by the standard of this book and to do so with reflectiveness and honesty. None of us do ourselves a favor if we clear-coat everything. If I make believe all is right when I know it's not, I need to examine myself. And so too do you. That certainly would be a wise usage of some time. Bible reading, prayer, meditation, reflection. Are we setting aside enough time for this? We each live in a hectic world and we all know it. The demand seems so great. The frenetic character seems so high. It seems chaotic. We race one place to the next. May we each, though, can devote ourselves to making sure we leave enough time for these things to read the Word of God, to be present at the worship services and Bible studies without fail, to understand the impressive need to, in fact, reflect from now and again on the nature of, am I doing and using my time well? Or am I using it poorly? If we neglect these things, you see, we make a grave error. In fact, it's an error spoken of in the verses this morning as foolishness. We're not living circumspectly. Rather, we're living in a way that is unwise. Those things all challenge us with one final set of ideas. And I thought this one was interesting as I began to look more deeply into the Word of God with respect to it. In Zechariah 4 verse 10, we have the very interesting statement made. Do not despise the day of small things. Isn't that interesting? Small things. Perhaps in our mind we race to these large grandiose plans, but God says don't overlook the small things either. There are little things that might be classified as small that you and I might well have opportunity to do each and every day and in the eternal scheme of things, they can make an enormous difference. Let us not despise the day of small things. What might be some small things that would make a difference? That could be little ways that we could well use it some of our time. Here are a few ideas. First of all, you and I as Christians are people who are the most joyous on earth. Philippians 4.4 4 reminds us, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. As surely as the Apostle Paul penned those words and impressed them upon the mind of the Philippian brethren, he wished them to appreciate and to know the deep-seated joy that filled their life. The Thessalonian congregation understood the same, for Paul wrote to them in chapter 1 of that book and again reminded them of the joy they knew in the faith. 
You and I are individuals of great joy because our sins have been forgiven, our name is written in the book of life, and heaven is our home. If we're following the dictates of this book, why should we not be joyful? Why should we not be those who are happy in our disposition? Thus, when others around us are overwhelmed and inundated in a world of worry and concern and anxiety, they will see that smile on your face and mine, the happiness that fills our heart, and that may be enough to help them to see, what is it that they have that I don't? What is it that they're doing that I'm missing? That little nugget of cherishment perhaps will make a world of difference to them. Have you ever had individuals comment to you that you're always smiling or that you always seem happy? Take that as a compliment. For they see in you what they what was seen in Christ, what was seen in the apostles. In Acts 4.13, was it not said of those apostles that all were able to make the comment, these had been with Christ. Their life wasn't the same as everybody else's. There was something different. Peculiar, if you please, but they were different. That should be descriptive of your life and mine. A joyful, happy existence knowing that our home is not here. What else might be possible to see? Others in the world that often display such coldness and display such unfriendliness don't find that in the life of a Christian. Do you and I speak to others, at least letting them know we acknowledge them? Or do we walk by on the other side like both the priest and the Levite did with respect to the Good Samaritan in Luke 10? They passed by on the other side, though they at least recognized there was a person there, they ignored him. Do you and I ignore other people? Do we pretend they don't exist? Jesus wasn't like that. In John chapter 4, though he was a Jewish male and a Samaritan female came there, he initiated a conversation with her. He spoke with her, asked her, in fact, things that would lead her finally to acknowledge him as the Son of God. He started that conversation so simply, didn't he? Give me a drink of water. Do you and I take the time to speak to others and at least acknowledge that they're there? Jesus did. The apostles did as well, didn't they? But in the third place, whether we be at work or at church with our brothers and sisters in Christ, or with regard to, for instance, the life that you and I live at home, do we behave ourselves in kindness? And do we behave ourselves in a way that would be properly honorable of God? Kindness is so often mentioned in the scriptures, isn't it? In Matthew, I'm sorry, in Proverbs 19, verse 22, it is there said that that which maketh a man to be desired is his kindness. That's one of those other qualities that is so easily seen in the lives of individuals, isn't it? Others appreciate, and they are well aware by their observation of the kindness that you display and that I display. Are you known as a person of kindness? Do others recognize in you that disposition? After all, kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit, isn't it, in, in Galatians chapter 5? And we find kindness lifted high in Ephesians 4.32. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That's one of those little acts that doesn't take a lot of time. When we interact with someone, it takes just as much time to interact with them harshly and meanly as it does to interact with them kindly. And that choice is left to you and to me. 
Are we using that time wisely and are we using it well? Perhaps another observation. In Romans 12, verses 5 through 8, as Paul describes some of the activities of those in the church at Rome, he made a special reference to some of them were particularly gifted at encouragement. Some of them were specifically known for their exhortation of others. That leads all of us to ask. Each of us can try to encourage somebody. We can compliment them for a job well done. We can perhaps state to them the, the encouragement that we would wish for them to know as they seek to live stronger and more maturely in Christ. All of us can share a word of encouragement at least every now and then. Perhaps we should be more apt to do that. After all, wasn't Jesus an encourager? Wasn't Barnabas known as an encourager? In fact, the very name Barnabas in Acts the fourth chapter, that word son of consolation means son of encouragement. Barnabas was known as a man that encouraged others. Are you and I so known? It's a good question, isn't it? Perhaps some of those moments out of each day, and it may not take a 45-minute lecture. It may only take a kind sentence spoken in encouraging someone in some way that will be very meaningful to them. In addition to encouraging, we find in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31, a rather lengthy description of what the judgment will be like that day of judgment. And in that description, you might remember six observations that Jesus made to those that were on his right. To those on the right, he said, I was hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now immediately they asked, When saw we thee in any of these circumstances? And Jesus said, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. We notice on the day of judgment among those matters mentioned will be things like that. Did we provide clothing to the needy? Did we provide food to the hungry? Drink like water to those that are thirsty? Did we help in the physical needs of others? That's a question I can ask. Am I using my time when possible to do those things? And you should ask yourself the same. That would be a wise way to use some of our time. All of that challenges perhaps was two of the final thoughts on that slide. The next to the last one. Jesus also in John 3 set a powerful example, didn't he? Verse number 1, when Nicodemus came to him, Jesus was ready to share a word about faith, a word about God, a word about truth. Are you and I as quick and as willing and as ready to do that? There's a poem that I'd like to share with you I came across. I thought it summarized some of the thoughts pretty well for this lesson today. Though I do not know the author, the title of the poem is At Day's End. And the question that's posed has to do with, as you approach the end of a day, reflect upon it and listen to some of these words. Is anyone happier because you passed this way? Does anybody remember that you spoke to them today? The day is almost over and its toiling time is through. Is there anyone to utter now a kindly word of you? Can you say tonight in parting with the day that's dipping fast that you helped a single person of the many that you passed? 
Is a single heart rejoicing over what you did or said? Does the person whose hopes were fading now with courage look ahead? Did you waste the day or lose it? Was it well or poorly spent? Did you leave a trail of kindness or a scar of discontent? As you close your eyes in slumber, do you think God will say, you have earned one more tomorrow by the work you did today? It is something to reflect upon, isn't it? In the closing part of our lesson this morning, one more time, might we remember that text in Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but remember what the word of the Lord is. If you and I remember the word of the Lord, we will strive to develop an attitude each day of using our time wisely, of developing it and employing it in a way that is in accordance to the word of God, so that we are not those that use it poorly or unwisely or that waste it, but rather those who use our time well. This very day, the following question, of course, above all others, must be asked. Are you a Christian? Have you had your sins washed away in the blood of the Lamb? We heard a moment ago about the announcement of someone was baptized here just a few nights ago, became a member of the Lord's body. That could be accomplished for anyone in the sound of my voice this morning for whom that would be your need. If you know that Jesus died on the cross for you, if you know then and realize that you are in sin, don't delay, but rather believe Jesus with all your heart to be the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess His name in the hearing of others, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. If we could assist you with that, let us do that this very morning. If you have become a Christian, but you no longer are living faithfully, Come back to your first love. Let brethren know about the mistake of your life and your confession of them and that you with determination want to change. They'd be happy and honored to pray with you and for you. The angels in heaven are prepared to rejoice on such an occasion in Luke 15. Today, if we could be of assistance to you, let us each be dedicated and determined to use our time wisely. And if you need to become a Christian today or to rededicate your life to a faithful one, let us assist you in whatever way we can while together we stand now and while we sing.